As we come to our time of prayer today, um, Spurgeon once said, our poor prayers are blotted and blurred and stained with sin, but our great high priest sprinkles them with his own most precious blood and so purifies them and then with his own dear hand, he lays them before the mercy seat and for his sake, they are sure to be accepted. Let's join our hearts together and pray. We thank you this morning, Lord, for your mercy, for your love, for your forgiveness, for your faithfulness, Lord, for your compassion. We thank you for your goodness. We praise you for who you are. And we thank you that we have the privilege of being your children and of coming to you in prayer and lifting our hearts to you. No matter where we are, we can join our hearts together and lift them up to you, Lord God. We thank you. We thank you that you hear us through Jesus. This morning we pray, Lord, for those who are sick and ailing. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving. Lord, we pray for those who are alone. God, we ask that you would touch these brothers and sisters, touch their bodies, touch their hearts, touch their minds, touch their souls, remind them of your presence. Lord, we ask for healing and for strength and for comfort for them. We pray too, Lord, for those um, who are working these days, working in medical settings. Lord, we pray for those who are returning to work as um, Perhaps their businesses uh, or place of work are beginning to open up. We pray for those, Lord, who are working in service settings. God, we ask for your protection to be upon all of these people and that you would give them the strength that they need. And we thank you, Lord, for your spirit. We thank you for how your spirit uh, works in us and um, encourages us and grows us and moves us on. Your word tells us that we're to be continually filled with your spirit. So I have this image in my mind of a child coming to their loving parent with a cup of being thirsty and wanting a drink. That's how we come to you today, Lord, with our hearts before you. We lean them toward you, Lord. We ask you to fill us up again. And as you fill us, may the fruit of your spirit pour through our lives. Good morning and welcome again. We're so glad you're choosing to join us this morning. We're so happy to have you with us and for us to worship together. This season, we're continuing our sermon series on the fruit of the spirit. We've been calling this growing season, kind of founded in Jesus's teaching in John 15, where he reminds us that he is the vine and his father is the gardener and we are the branches. As the branches, in order to grow and to bear fruit, we are to remain in Christ. One way we remain in Christ is by obeying his commandments. When we obey the commandments of Christ, we live in the spirit. Paul in his epistle to the Galatians reminds us that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So thinking about this fruit of the spirit, one of our challenges this season has been how are we remaining in the vine? How are we growing in the fruit of the spirit? This morning we're going to focus on the, the fruit of goodness. The, the psalmist kind of teach us that goodness is the essence of who God is. Now most of us who follow God, we can say, 
yeah, that's true. That's the, the essential fabric of who our God is. But I just love how some of the psalmists remind us of this. Some of my favorite verses from the Psalms. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in God. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does God withhold from those who follow him. The Lord is good to all and his mercy and compassion is of all that he has made. Surely goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life until I'm captured and I will dwell and remain in the house of the Lord God forever. Goodness is the essence of what of who God is. But goodness is also the fruit of what God does. When you look at his creation, God spoke the world into being. He spoke everything into being and it was, it was good. It was very good in his eyes. And he created Adam and Eve and that was very good. When you look at the people of Israel who emerged, it's not just a hereditary people or a people by, by blood of human relation, but it's a people of faith. And when you look at Jesus Christ, the gift of God to us, he's the perfect goodness embodied by God and God's gift to us. And if you look at the church for thousands of years now, the church has been partnering with the spirit to do God's good in the world. But goodness is also a blessing. We're blessed with the Holy Spirit as like a, an early deposit of the goodness and, and the goodness of God that's going to come. We're blessed with each other. What a reminder, especially in this season, that it is a blessing to have one another. It's a blessing to love one another. It's a blessing to journey with one another. We're also blessed with spiritual gifts or, or resources. And, and just this reminder that to, to be in this faith is to also know that you are blessed to be a blessing. And one of the things I love about the goodness of God is that when we see it in our lives, it points others to God. In fact, Paul in another epistle says, we are God's masterpieces. We are God's workmanship. We have been created by God to do good works. And the Lord Jesus himself says, do good, because when you do good, the world will see it and they will glorify our Father in heaven. This morning, our passage comes to us from Hebrews 13. Um, this is one of many passages in scripture that you can say is about the goodness of God. But this one, um, I especially love looking at this week because, yes, there's a lot of passages that point to the goodness of God. But I especially like how this passage, to that point of time, to those people, called them back to their God who is good. If you have your Bibles, I'll be reading from Hebrews 13, uh, verses 11 to 16. Hebrews 13, 11 to 16, starting at verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For, we, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices our God is pleased. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning that goodness is the essence of who you are. That goodness is your blessing to us, whether it's in creation, whether it's in your people, or mostly it's in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift you've left behind, the gift of your church that we can be your body, the gift of your spirit that we can be molded into your image. And Father God, we thank you that this morning, all around our screens, but all around the world, Lord, we serve, we worship, we bow down to our good, good God. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.
The, the letter to the Hebrews is, is interesting for many reasons. Uh, it's been a raging debate in Christianity for thousands of years on who actually wrote um, the book of Hebrews, the, the letter, the epistle to the Hebrews. But one of the things I find really, really fascinating than, than who the author is are just two points. And I think we have this really um, theological masterpiece that's woven together in Hebrews. And essentially, there's two main themes that I think I pulled out from Hebrews. The first one is that the writer writes to bless the people. Bless the people for they are being persecuted. And they're being persecuted. You know, this actually reminds me of some of our Anabaptist heritage. You know, like there's a lot of things about Anabaptism that, that people now have normalized in Christianity. Like, for example, believer's baptism. But there was a time where we were literally persecuted, not just by the outside world, but by, by, by Protestants and Catholics because we believed in believer's baptism. That's kind of what I think these early Christians were going through because they were getting persecuted by Gentiles and by other Jews. They were people who grew up in the Jewish faith and found Jesus and held on to Jesus as the Messiah and they, they went through persecution from the Greeks, from the Romans, and from other Jews because they couldn't worship in the temple like they wanted or they were taught to worship before. And in this scene, God uses the rite of uh, Hebrews to remind the people of this simple truth. Christ is greater. And you see this show up time and time again. Christ is greater than the angels. Christ is greater than the law. Moses, the lawgiver, Christ is greater than him. The promised land, yeah, that's awesome. But the, 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 the land that I'm going to promise you for eternity, that's going to be even greater because Christ is greater. The Old Testament priesthood, that's awesome. But Christ is now the high priest. Christ is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And if you have an older translation or, or you memorize this as a kid like I did, you remember it said that Jesus was the author and finisher of our faith. The idea here isn't just that he created and crafted it, but he is the new one, the new creation, the one who brings it all together. Christ is greater because Jesus is God. And that's why you are to follow him. So the writer writes to a people who says, you're being persecuted but I'm going to try to bless you because God blesses you for following him. And always remember, no matter what you're going to, Christ is greater. And in chapter 13, which is where we pull our passage from this morning, there's a lot of concluding thoughts here that, that really are, you know, imperatives, uh, commands might sound a little harsh or a little hard, but really this is how he's calling them to live. Not ignoring their persecution and suffering, not ignoring what's going on in life, but saying that if you follow Jesus, this is how you should live. And I love some of the things in here in chapter 13. Love one another as family. Love one another as brothers and sisters. If anyone is in the faith, they are your brother or they are your sister. Love them as family, for the blood that flowed on Calvary's tree matters even more than the blood that flows in your veins. Show hospitality to strangers, for you will be entertaining angels unaware. This goes through the entire scripture from Genesis to Revelation, where God is consistently reminding his people that you were once a stranger, but I've made you family. So when you have stranger, or in some contexts we call them immigrants, in some places we call them outsiders, our job as Christians who follow God is to always show hospitality to the strangers, no matter what our heart says or even what our government says. Remember the imprisoned. Remember those who are marginalized. Remember those who are oppressed. Never stop working for the people society leaves behind. If you're married, great. Use that to honor God. If you're single, great. Use that to honor God. Love God and not your money. Love God and not your resources. Love God first. And in this one, I'm especially grateful for the writer here says, pray for your spiritual leaders. 
Thank you. And then you have in the middle of all these suggestions and commands of how we are to live our passage this morning. And I think what stuck out for me is all the different ways the author weaves in the goodness of God. The author starts off with something that the people knew about, the high priest. And then essentially in our passage this morning, the author is saying, remember the high priest. Remember what the high priest does on the day of atonement. Remember how the high priest and then all the priesthood, they gather outside the city and they, they sacrifice the animals and after they burn the animals they take the blood to the mercy seat they go into the holy of holies and present the blood before God to ask for atonement for all the people's sins and everyone reading or hearing this epistle would have said yes I remember we've been doing this since I was a child and then the author says remember the high priest that does this because now Jesus is your high priest just like the priest takes the blood into the holy of holies Jesus Christ was killed out Outside the city and the blood that he shed is what brings us in and earns our atonement before God because of his sacrifice. Remember Jesus Christ who suffered at the edge of the city. Remember Jesus Christ who suffered at the margins. And the reminder here is to, to go where Jesus is at the margins. So this is how it fits in with the greater context of, of you know, loving each other as kin and, and showing hospitality to strangers and immigrants and, and remembering people who are oppressed because the author is saying, just like Jesus works at the margin, you too are to work at the margin. But there's something else in this passage that, that I think it's, it's, it's underlying. You know, it's not as apparent easily. But one of the things that the people were grieving was Jerusalem. One of the things that people were grieving, grieving was the faith that they grew up with, the faith they had gotten accustomed to. They missed not being able to go to temple and worship like they did before. Undoubtedly, there were some of them who severed family lines or, or family um, um, ties because of their new faith in Jesus. They were missing all of that. And it's, it's, it's so, it's seeping all through the passage. And what I love about this is the author doesn't ignore that. But the author says, yeah, I know you missed the temple, but man, we have an altar even greater than that temple. And I, I think the, the one of the reasons this passage jumped out to me about God's goodness is I think there's a lot of us right now who are missing our physical temple, this building I'm sitting in. I think there's a lot of us who are missing being together, who are missing and worshiping together, singing together, seeing one another. I think there's a lot of us there right now. But the author reminds me and hopefully reminds you this morning that this temple that we have, this, this, this disconnect that we have because we don't physically come together, it's only temporary. And I love that because what he's saying to the people is, it's okay that you missed the way things were. Just like I'll say to you, it's okay that you missed the way things were. I like the way things were, but remember, God is still with you. And then after that, that kind of seeps in a little bit, the author reminds you, also remember, though, that as good as things were, you have an eternal destiny. As good as things were for us, this is not our home. This building is wonderful and it allows us to do so much of God's work. But this is just a temporary solution and we need to all have our eyes fixed on the eternal Jerusalem. Fixed on the home that is to come. Remember that this is not our home and that our home is coming. And then he concludes, or the writer concludes, Remember to praise God with your lips because of Jesus Christ. Remember to do good and share God's goodness. 
Because God has been good to you, share it with your world. Because God is good, you need to go and do good. Because again, like Jesus says, when we do good, others see it and they glorify our Father in heaven. In this growing season, we've been talking a little bit about plants. And, and every week I'm saying this, right? And hopefully my, my plant in my office lives after this because I'm, I'm becoming, you know, an expert, right? But I'm told that plants need water, nutrients, fresh air, healthy soil, light, temperature, space, time, all these things to grow. And it's the same way that if we're going to be in this growing season and growing in the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to need to be fed by God each day. We're going to need to be able to be breathed on by the Spirit and that we're going to need to submit to the Spirit. We're going to need to give ourselves room and time to grow in, in the same love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, and goodness. But I think what I want to leave us with this morning is that we have been blessed so that we can be blessed others. And I think what the passage is essentially calling us to is that, yes, God is good. Yes, God has gifted his goodness to our world, but God now needs you to give that same goodness to your world. So there's four ways I want us to gift goodness this week. The first one is just remembering that goodness is the essence of who God is. When you look at his creation, God is good. When you look at his people, no matter what you might feel in your heart or what our world says, God's people, the Christians, they are good. God's church, no matter what people said about the church, the church is still the instrument that God has chosen to use with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the world to him. So what I want you to do to help you remember the goodness that being the essence of God is simply to do this. Carve out some time this week. I would even challenge you to do it every day. Now, for some of you, this is going to be like right up your alley, you know, because this is how you connect with God. For some of you, this is going to be very terrifying, but it's okay. Pick a time that you think you can do this. For some of us, it might be 30 seconds or a minute. But what I want you to do is to carve out a time each day where you're going to sit in a quiet room and simply do this. Remember God is good. And then remember how God's been good to you. Whatever image that comes to mind, reflect and hold on to that. Whatever memory that is stirred up, reflect and hold on to that. And then after you've held on to that, simply say, God, thank you. And if that takes, you know, 30 seconds and you do it, good. If it takes you 30 minutes and you can do it, great. What I want you to do is just to set apart that time. Because here's the thing. We become like what we worship. And what we set our mind to helps form us. So if you're setting apart time every day this week to reflect on God's goodness, maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to feel it a little bit more tangibly. The second thing is that goodness is the fruit of what God does. So if the first one is just like your bit part, this one might take a little bit more work, but it's okay, you got time. And this one, what I want you to do is simply this. I want you to sit down at some point this week, and I want you to reflect on your life. And this seems like a very big ask, but it's okay, like I said, you got time, you can do this, right? What I want you to do is not to write your whole biography, although we have people in the church who do that, so God bless them, right? Um, but what I want you to do is to just think of critical moments in your life. What you would consider like, wow, this was a fork in the road and I went this way. This was a fork in the road and I went this way. I want you to think about those critical moments. I want you to map out your story. If you can in five points or, or seven points or ten points, what were the critical turning points in your life? And then after each of those turning points, I want you to simply ask this question. Where does God show up here? 
Where did I see God here? Where did God move here? Because first you start thinking and reflecting on God's goodness, but now I want you to see how God has shown his goodness throughout your story. And the reason I'm asking you to do this is because I recently got a chance to do this. And for example, one of the turning points for me was in 1989 when I left Liberia. And what's fascinating about the story is all I knew was I was six years old and I got in a car with my grandmother. But in talking to family members to, to find out how that happened, you see the goodness of God over and over and over and over again. That in the heat of a civil war, God had directed not only my grandmother, but relationships she had with people all around us to help strengthen her, but also save us. And that's just one way. So I want you to write out these moments in your life that you consider critical turning moments and answer that simple question, where do I see God or how did God move here? The third thing I want you to hold on to with goodness, after you hold on to the essence of who God is in here, after you hold on to the essence of who God is in your heart, as you look back on your life, is to simply remember that goodness is the blessing that God's given us of each other. There's a writer by the name of Marjorie Kemper. And she has a short story called God's Goodness. And it's a fascinating story. And I've been trying to think about how I'm going to tell this story without giving it away. But essentially, the story has two principal characters. There's an immigrant by the name of Ling Tan who's come to this country, who's, who's survived war and oppression, and is starting out to try to, to find a, a new life in America. And the other principal character is, is a, a teenager by the name of Mike. And Mike is terminally ill. And Ling Tan has been hired to care for Mike. And, and they're opposites in every way. You know, she's an immigrant and he's a citizen. You know, she's female and he's male. She's short and he's really tall. She's a Christian and he's not. And, and what's fascinating in this short story is you start off with Ling who says, I know you're terminally ill, but I will pray for you. And you start off with Ling who's able to see beauty all around us, beauty in God's creation, beauty in the people around her. And you have Mike who doesn't want to see any of it. But what I love without giving the whole story away is at the very end of the story, they realize that it's not just about the prayers we pray and whether or not God answered them. They realize that for that point of time, God has blessed them with each other. God's goodness is not only the miracle of life that we live and the breath that we breathe, but God's goodness is that we're all blessed with each other. And I love that story because it's a reminder to me that every single person in my life is a blessing. It's a reminder to hopefully all of us that God has given us this time. So let us continue to love and bless one another. And this other one, I had a hard time for a couple of different reasons. One of it is it just, it just reads weird, you know, and it writes weird. But I don't know how else to say it, so maybe it makes sense when I preach it. But goodness is a reminder that God is good. Goodness is a reminder that God is good. And what I mean by that is that when we think about the essence of who God is, it is goodness. When we think about the essence of what God has done for us, it is goodness. You know, um, one of the ways that I've really been able to hold on to that was through a song by Jonathan McReynolds, who I think Esty will be singing in a little bit, called God is Good. And I love this song for many reasons. And one of the reasons I love this song is just this reminder of this goodness of our God. And every time I read the words, it just, I get choked up because I, I really think they're beautiful. I really think this is the prayer that we all should have. And the song simply goes like this. May your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. 
May your battles end the way they should. And may your bad days prove that God is good. May your whole life prove that God is good. And the reason I get emotional in that song is because when I discovered it or, or when God sent that song my way, it was in one of the, the, the hardest weeks probably I've had in a long time. It was back in September of 2018, and, and over the course of 24 hours, I found out that the two really good friends from high school had died. And I found out that I had funerals and back-to-back weekends for these really good friends. And it was just hard to, to try to make sense of it. You know, my one friend was leaving behind a wife and three kids. And my other friend I I had just talked to the week before he left the country. And it was really, really hard to, to go through all the feelings of, man, I didn't say goodbye, or, or man, I never told him I loved them, or man, I just, I'll never see them until heaven. And this song really was a healing to me. But the other thing that I realized this week is, you know, in the last month, I've been able to reconnect with my dad's side of the family, which is a pretty big deal because it's been like 30 years. And one of the things that, you know, I joke about it, but it's kind of serious, is that, you know, we as Liberians all need trauma counseling. And we don't know we need trauma counseling. And one of the reasons I'm saying that is because when I, I, I was talking to one of my cousins, you know, it's just like, oh, you're Daniel's son. I was like, yeah, I'm Daniel's son. And then the next words out of his mouth was proceeding to tell me how exactly my dad was killed. And I remember sitting there with the phone in my ear like, um, maybe just ask how I'm doing? You know, like that's probably an easier way to, to keep the conversation going. But then I, 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 I sat with it, and I've been sitting with that for weeks. You know, for years we didn't know, or I didn't know. No one told me. And, 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 I, and I, as I think of not only that conversation I had with my cousin, but as I think about my dad's final hours, I came back to this song. You know, I, I went through the whole thing again, right? It was like a re-traumatizing, right? I went through the whole thing again of like, man, I never got a chance to see him. Every memory I have of him has been given to me by someone else. I went through this whole thing of like, I never, I'm older than my dad is now. So every year on my birthday, that really weirds me out. Like, I'm older than my dad ever lived. But then I came back to this song. And the reminder was, may your struggles keep you near the cross. For when we are weak, our God is strong. May your troubles show that you need God. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But God gives us his peace, and our Christ has overcome the world. May your battles end the way they should. Because all things, not just the little things or the big ones, but all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. May your bad days prove that God is good. Because your God will never leave you nor forsake you. And may your whole life prove that God is good. Our God is with us now. What a blessing to all of us that goodness is a reminder that our God is good. God bless you all. And may your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God, and may your battles end the way they should, and may your bad days prove that God is good, and may your whole life prove that God is good. May your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need.
in the way they should. And may your bad days prove that God is good. May your whole life prove that God is good. And may your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. May your battles end the way they should. And may your bad days prove that God is good. And may your whole life prove that God is See, may your bad days prove that God is good. And may your whole life prove that God is good. And may your bad days prove that God is good. And may your whole life prove that God is